Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Hallelujah. You know, we have, we have newer, newer people in our church. Not necessarily brand new, but newer. You know. And... Uh, I've learned this in pastoring. I've learned that <laughs> you'll think I'm trying to to be smart or something, you know, trying to be critical. I'm not, but I've just learned that people don't really listen a whole lot to me. <laughs> they get about half what I say. I'm just talking generally. I've learned that over years, as far as doctrinally and the word. Because I'll, I'll preach something that I think I have covered so clearly, you know, more times than one, only later to hear somebody, you know, just in a conversation, and, and it's clear they didn't get what I said at all. I'm talking about a, a principle in the Word of God. Because it takes, I know this, it takes time. It's not that people aren't smart. You're very smart. It takes, uh, it takes an effort. It takes an intentional application of the word when, when you hear it. You can't just sit in church and hear the word and be thinking about other things and, and, uh, and not take things to heart. Because tradition, Jesus said you make the word of God void through your traditions that you hold. That's what he told the people in his day. He said you have these traditions and these traditions make the word of God of no effect. It voids out the word of God. Tradition has, uh, gets deeply ingrained in people. In all of us, I'm not just talking about you, all of us. I, you know, after many years, I'll, sometimes I'll be looking at the word feet and then all of a sudden I'll, I'll realize, you know what? That's, I've been seeing this wrong. I've been looking at this through what I've always heard all my life and it's not even what it says. Amen, that's an ongoing uh, process of renewing our minds. Amen. And, uh, and so, though, I, so though I've covered things, you might say, well, Pastor, you've covered that before. Yeah, but uh, not everybody got it. And are you walking in it? <laughs> Amen. And uh, there's a tradition uh, I had a, and you've heard me say this before, I had a man one time we were worshiping the Lord like this and just, you know, praising God in, uh, in other tongues. And after the service was over, and I think it was a Sunday morning, pretty sure it was, a man that I'd never seen walked down and met me right here. I mean, the service was just over. And uh, I'd never seen him before. He'd never been in our church before. He was there that morning. He said, you're all wrong, pastor. This church is all wrong. I said, we are. I mean, what a greeting. Well, thank you, brother. Good to see you too. Yep, you're all wrong. This church is all wrong. I said, really? What, what are we wrong about? He said, everybody's speaking in tongues out loud like this. It's all wrong. It's all unscriptural. 
I said, is that right? He said, yeah, he, and, he, and he quoted part of a verse from the Bible. And uh, he said, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I'd rather speak five words in my understanding, you know, that, that all men could understand than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. You're all out of order. Well, he, he did quote uh, part of a passage, but that's not all that it says. And so uh, I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, where you go to church? I mean, you don't, you don't go here. You're this. I said, wherever you go to church, how do y'all do? How do you handle speaking in tongues in your church? He said, we don't speak in tongues in our church. I said, bingo. I said, the point to, to, to start with, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't know anything about speaking in tongues. And secondly, you know, you come in here and want to correct this church and you don't know what we've, what we've believed and you don't know what I've taught. You know, it takes a pretty arrogant person to come in and correct a pastor that he doesn't even know. You know, it's, it's not that pastors are perfect and I'm certainly not perfect and I don't know everything in, about the Bible. I, I don't know everything there is to know. But you would think uh, just a, 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 an ordinary person, not an unusually bright person, but just an ordinary Christian would, would just assume that maybe the pastor might know something he doesn't know. Just, I mean, you know, could happen. You would just think that. But no, he came up and, and, and wanted to correct me in this church. And, and uh, uh, I didn't spend a lot of time talking to him because he, because he wasn't interested in, in knowing anything. He just wanted to, you know, to, to correct us. And, uh, but that's a very traditional thing. It, from some people's backgrounds, if they've heard anything about tongues, it's about what not to do. And what is not permissible and what you should not do. And, and, and uh, sort of the, the pick out the negative portions of the scriptures but not in context. When you put things in context, sometimes something that a verse that sounds negative, when you put it in context, it's not really negative. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, you know, we were singing to the Lord for quite a while in other tongues tonight. And... Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, he said in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. That's one thing this man said. He said there was no interpretation. People spoke in tongues and there was no interpretation. It should have stopped. And that's when I asked him, I said, well, how do you, how do you handle tongues and interpretation, that sort of stuff in your church. We don't do that. I said, well, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, he said, yes, I do. He said, I don't have to speak in tongues. I can read the Bible. I know what the Bible says about it. And I said, yeah, you, you, you can read the Bible, but if you don't have any knowledge in uh, the experience, then you will read past things and you will read into things that aren't there and you'll miss things that are there. Because you don't have that experience. I mean, you could read, I can read all about driving uh, a, a big tractor trailer. I could, I could get a book and read about it and, uh, and just and, and, and know all the rules, how to back that big old trailer and all this. But how many of you want to be around when I'm driving it the first time? <laughs> experience in something puts a lot, gives a lot of more, gives a lot more insight into what you read. Amen. And uh, anyway, I, I did say that to him, but he wasn't interested in listening. 
Uh, this scripture goes on to say, but it now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? And uh, on down, he said, uh, verse 18, I thank my God I speak with other tongues more than y'all. Yet in the church, and this is the verse this man quoted, I would rather speak five words in my understanding. Uh, and then he stopped right there. He said, I'd rather speak five words in my understanding than 10,000 words in other tongues. Well, he missed part of this verse. He, he left out that, that clause in there, that phrase, that I may teach others also. In the, the instructions given in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you have to put this in the context that he's talking about. In verse number five, we read this. He, sp he said, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you, than, that, than you prophesied. For he that he, who prophesies is greater than he who speaks of tongues unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. There is a time when tongues is in, is, uh, in a public assembly is required to be interpreted so that the church can understand what was being said that's where the edification comes from by being under by understanding what was said and this man said he said all this speaking with other tongues he said I didn't understand a word of it and it didn't help me didn't edify me at all uh, there is a time when speaking with tongues is supposed to be interpreted that it can be that people can be edified and he went on in the next verse to explain that he said now brother if I come to you speaking with tongues what shall I profit you unless I speak to you in your, in your thinking, underline those words. Unless I speak to you, either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. In verse number two, he said, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no man understands him, albeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he's talking about, in this chapter... He's talking about the importance of how tongues are to be conducted in the church when, when the intent and the purpose is to speak to men. Either, he said, what, what profit? What, in other words, what good would it do? Unless I speak to you by uh, revelation or prophecy. Now, they, they, those people that believe that way think that prophecy just means preaching. And, and the fact is, preaching and prophecy, those two words come from completely different Greek words in the New Testament. They don't mean the same thing. There can be prophecy, an element of prophecy in preaching, but the two are not the same. But they, they think they mean the same. So basically, he said that, uh, what shall I profit you along you know, this interpretation, unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by preaching, or by teaching. Uh, He's talking about when you come to address the church like I am now. What, what good would it do if I stood before you now? Everybody, every eye is on me. Everybody's listening to me. What good would it do for me to stand up here and just speak to you in other tongues? Speak to you in other tongues. Speak to you in other tongues. What, what good would it do? Because you wouldn't know what I was saying. And uh, I wouldn't know what I was saying. So it wouldn't do me any good and wouldn't do you any good. And he said in a situation like that, 
it's better to speak with your understanding. That's what he talked about down in, in, in this latter verse down here in verse uh, <clears throat> uh, 18, 19. I'd rather speak five words in my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in, in an unknown tongue. So when we come into a church service where uh, the purpose of, of, of this particular time in the service is like it is now to teach or to preach or to instruct or, or to say anything to communicate me or anyone else speaking to you, it would be foolish to try to do that in other tongues. Unless, unless someone interpreted it, you wouldn't know what was being said. But um, uh, it's not, this isn't talking about a worship service. This is talking about a teaching or a preaching service or, or speaking to the congregation to instruct. Notice, notice he said by revelation, uh, by instruction. When, when the, the portion of the service is to instruct or to bring truth or to teach, then it's right to speak in, in uh, your known language, the known language of the church, rather than speaking in other tongues. But this isn't talking about worship. Because in worship... We're not speaking. I'm not speaking to you. The person behind the pulpit's not speaking to you and the people in the pews aren't speaking to one another. When we're worshiping the Lord, we're not speaking to one another. We're speaking to God. And the Bible teaches speaking in tongues and singing in tongues. Let's go back up to uh, verse number 15. He says, what is the conclusion then? Well, let's go back up to verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Why? How, how do, what is that? Well, when you pray, are you speaking to your person next to you? No, you're speaking to God. You're praying to God. And he said, uh, so what is the conclusion? I will pray with the spirit and I will also sing with the spirit. I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Uh, so there is praying in the Spirit, and there's singing in the Spirit. But when you're praying or, or singing in the Spirit, you're, you're talking to God. Now, we know that that kind of speaking or singing in other tongues does not need to be interpreted because we have examples of it in the Bible. Acts chapter 2, they were, the church was small. It was 100 and, about 120 people. And on the day of Pentecost, they were assembled together in one accord. And we know what happened. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues and interpret their tongues to one another. Is that what it says? No. It says they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the people in the, in the community, because the Feast of Pentecost was going on, and so Jerusalem was filled with all these people, and they'd come from all these different uh, nations and places nearby, you know, and come from some from close and from, some from afar. And so the people in Jerusalem had all kinds of, of, of natural languages and dialects that they spoke. And uh, so they're all assembled there, and uh, presumably they, they spoke uh, Greek probably as well. But they had their native language that they from their home homeland. And on the day of Pentecost, when, when the 120 began to speak with other tongues, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind that filled the house. 
And uh, they began to speak with other tongues. Well, it, was, it created a lot of noise. They weren't quiet about it. And uh, so the people came gathering around. Everybody ran, you know, and came gathering. There was a big crowd, evidently. And the Bible lists all of those different people. And uh, it said, we heard them speak in our languages and our dialects the wonderful works of God. But that wasn't tongues and interpretation. And it, for instance, it, it, it mentions the people from the Parthians and the people from you know, the Medes and the different ones. Uh, uh, well, the Parthians, you know, there was somebody speaking in that language, somebody of the 120, and the, and the Parthians heard someone in that crowd speaking. Because, you know, if you were speaking, there was a bunch of people talking and, and you were, let's say you were overseas someplace and people are, you know, you're in an international airport and people speaking all kind of language. Somebody starts speaking English, you'd pick that out. You go, oh yeah, that that's person's, you know, they're from, they, if they sound like us, might be from Georgia, you know. You, you would identify with that. So the people from, from, from the Medes, they heard someone in the crowd speaking in their language. But that wasn't tongues and interpretation of tongues. They, that person was speaking in tongues and they just happened to know that language. But the people of the Parthians, they didn't, they didn't understand the, the Mede language, which is the Medes. But somebody else was speaking in Parthians and, and those people heard that with them. The Mede people didn't. The people that spoke in the Medes, whatever that was, they didn't, they didn't understand the Parthians. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So there was no tongues and interpretation except for whatever place you were from, if you were in, one, if you were in that crowd, except for the one or two people, maybe a two or three people that spoke in your language or dialect. To you, the rest of it was all unknown tongues. You didn't know what people were saying. So there was no tongues in interpretation. There was tongues, but there was no interpretation. And it apparently was in order because God did it. I mean, the Holy Ghost fell on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spoke in these foreign languages and nobody interpreted and it was of God. Well, if 1 Corinthians chapter 14 prohibits ever speaking in tongues out loud in church unless somebody gives the interpretation, then Acts chapter 2 was out of line with God's will. Acts chapter 2, the whole incident was unbiblical and against the teaching of Paul. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Same thing happened in Acts chapter uh, uh, 10 whenever, uh, you know, Peter went down to Cornelius' house and, and uh, there were people and gathered. And he had, you know, he was an important man and, an influential man and, you know, and centurion and those probably had a big house and no, t no telling how many people. There could have been a hundred plus people in his, in his house that night or that day or whenever it was. And uh, they began to speak with tongues as the Holy Spirit fell on them and they all began to speak with tongues and magnify God. Well, according to 1 Corinthians 14, it was all out of order. If you, if you take that interpretation to mean that any time people speak in tongues out loud in public, it's out of order unless somebody interprets, well, that couldn't be true. Amen? So people take things, uh, you know, out of their context and they think, they, you know, they think they're enlightened and really they're just showing how little they know of the Word of God. Amen? So it's scriptural, so I say that, you know, if... if, if you know, you, you come to church and you wonder sometimes, well, is that right? You know, I've never been to a church. I've always heard that, you know, speaking of the tongues was crazy or, or fanatical or of the devil or passed away or something. And you sure aren't supposed to do it. And, 
and, uh, and here's a church where everybody speaks in tongues and sings in tongues out loud and what in the world's going on here? We just, you know, we're just practicing Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, all of those places where they spoke with tongues and nobody interpreted and it was the will of God because they were magnifying God. Uh, the people there on the day of Pentecost, we said we hear them in our languages speaking the wonderful works of God. Well, that's what we're doing when we're praising God. We're, taking, we're talking to him about his wonderful works. Amen. Glory to God. And, and you ought to pray in tongues a lot by yourself. Amen. You need to pray in tongues a lot by yourself. It will build you up spiritually. And of course, when you're by yourself, you, you don't have to interpret it, but the Lord may give you the interpretation. But he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men. He speaks to God. But in the Spirit, it says he's speaking mysteries. And, and he says he who, he who uh, speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's important to edify yourself. It's important to speak out the mysteries of God for your life. If you, if you don't pray in tongues very much, you don't talk much about your future. Or else you talk about your future the wrong way. So if you're just, if, you're, if, you, if you voice and, and give voice to your own natural ideas all the time, whatever comes through your natural mind, if that's the things that you speak all of the time, then you're going to, to miss out on a lot of God's plan for your life because you're operating in the natural. Well, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to do that and I believe this and I believe that and, and this is what my life is. Uh, well, what does God have to You know, God knows the future. And he has a future for you. He has a future for you, a plan for you, something he wants to do and somewhere he wants to take you in life. Not just, not just a geographic Location he wants to take you, but there's there's there are things that he wants to do. He wants to he wants to take you further spiritually, take you to the next place in in his in your relationship with him and in knowing him. He wants to take you there. Well, uh, it, it's important to talk about those things. Well, you can't talk about them if you don't know about them. But glory to God on the inside, the greater one who lives within, he can give you utterance so that you can speak out divine secrets divine secrets that nobody knows but God would there be any, any value in speaking divine secrets would there be any value in, in speaking mysteries that are hidden to you oh yes 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 because things don't happen in life just because they're the will of God Things, things don't just happen in life just because they're, they're the will of God. The, the will of God happens in your life because the will of God is prayed out. Most Christians, ever, few, few Christians ever walk in the full will of God for them. Few Christians, I'll just say that again. Few Christians ever walk in the full will of God for their life. Few do. Because they don't take any time to pray in the spirit. They don't take any time to, to, to get to, the, to a place in the, you know, uh, I'm not talking about just, you know, a five-minute prayer maybe on the way to work. But they never take any time to get to separate themselves. And just spend some, some time where they dedicate time especially 
to worshiping the Lord and then just praying in the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to begin to anoint them as they speak and that their future can be prayed out and, and secrets and, and divine secrets and things of the future can, can come out and you can pray those things out because God requires our cooperation to bring his will to pass. And the primary way his will it will ever be brought to pass in your life is by you speaking it first. That's the fundamental way of bringing about the will of God for your life is to speak it. If you know what his will is, then talk about it. I mean, it, it might not be something you can talk to anybody else about, but you can talk to the Lord about it. Amen. Sometimes it's, it's not time to talk about it to anybody else. I know when I first felt the impression, you know, that God was calling me into the ministry, I hadn't been back in fellowship with the Lord very long, and I felt these stirrings on the inside. And I mean, I couldn't even give a testimony. In our church, we gave testimonies. You know, on uh, Wednesday night, they'd call on somebody to lead a testimony meeting. And so one person would come up, and so they'd, they'd give their testimony, and they'd call on somebody else, and people would just jump up, you know. And if it got, if it got real slow... Then the person leading the testimony, I mean, he would just call on and say, well, brother so-and-so, just give your testimony. And I was just so afraid they'd call on me because I couldn't talk. I mean, I mean, my hands would start sweating. If you look at my hand, my hands are wet. My tongue is, my mouth feels like cotton. And I'd look off, you know, and fiddle with my Bible and mess with my shoestrings, do anything to keep from, you know, anybody picking me out. I, I, and then I felt like God was calling me to go in the ministry to preach. And I thought, dear Lord, I can't even, I can't even give a testimony. I can't even pray in public. I don't, what am I going to do? Well, I didn't just run out and start telling everybody, yep, I'm going to the ministry because I knew they'd just laugh. <laughs> you can't even make it home, son. You're going to go in the ministry? And... Uh, I didn't come home a lot, did I? <laughs> so, uh, long story there. But anyway, we, I'd, I'd stay after church. We, my buddies and I, we didn't know a whole lot, but we were having fun. And we'd have church, and after church, people would, uh, Sunday night, people typically, because we lived in a city and there was a lot of restaurants close by, so people would go out and get something to eat with one another, and, and we'd go to Burger King or we'd go to a pizza place, you know, and, and then... Uh, and then everybody would go home. Well, my friends, they were mostly single guys. And, uh, and Angela wasn't coming to church. They were all single guys. And, and I was acting like a single guy because I was there at church and Angela wasn't going to church. So I would go out with these guys and then we'd go back to the church. We'd let ourselves in because I had a key that the pastor's son had given me when we were backslidden. And We used to steal toilet paper from the church and go wrap people's houses with it. When I was a kid. <laughs> he was he was the pastor's son. He was he he had a part time job as custodial work, and so uh, we'd go in and, and get the toilet paper out of the supply cabinet and go wrap people's houses. Anyway, I still had that key, and uh, so we would let I would let us all in. We'd come back in the church, you know, and keep the lights down low so we didn't attract attention. And we'd just get in there and we'd pray and pray and pray. And, and um, you know, we had some, we had some uh, good experiences in the Lord. And we had some that weren't so good, you know, that weren't in the Lord. But uh, we were having a good time anyway. But, uh, you know, uh, during this time, uh, we learned to pray in the Spirit. We, we, weren't, we didn't know a lot, but we were learning to pray. And... Uh, 
I just knew on the inside of me that there was something going on that God wants. I would see myself pastoring a church. It was in the early days. I would see myself with a congregation and I would see myself as a pastor. And uh, uh, I, I eventually let that slip, the vision of that. I kind of I let it kind of slip away. I kind of lost it for a little while. And uh, because I, I began to, uh, the Lord began to develop me in a teaching gift. And in my local church, I started having opportunities to teach the word of faith that wasn't being taught in our local church, but in special groups like men's groups or special groups, you know, I would have an opportunity. And uh, I discovered that I could teach by the I could teach by the Spirit of God, and people were being blessed and they were being edified, you know. And when that happened, I I began to see myself more as a teacher than a pastor, and so I let the vision of pastoring sort of slip away from me. That's why when I went to Rama, I had I've told well now by this time Angela was coming to church, you know, and uh, we had a deal that we would go to Rama as long as we never pastored. He said, I'll go to Rhema, but you promised me we will never, ever pastor. She was a pastor's daughter, and she didn't want anything to do with pastoring. And I said, that's fine, because God hadn't called me to pastor. I had let that slip. And uh, anyway, uh, I found out later that there's, a, that there's a connection between pastoring and teaching. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when it talks about, you know, in the other places it mentions the different uh, ministry gifts, but in 1 Corinthians 4... Uh, it talks about God has set, Christ has set these in the church, first apostles, or, or uh, not first, that was, that was in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12. But in Ephesians chapter 4, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to the men. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And the way that those two words are put together in the Greek, the way they're, the, the way they're joined it's, it's almost as if pastor-teacher is, is a combined office. Now, there, there are pastors that don't have a teaching gift, not many. Uh, there are many teachers that aren't pastors, but primarily pastors are supposed to be pastor-teachers. And so I didn't understand that. But you know, the time came for me to step into the, into the ministry, and the only reason I was able to do it is because I prayed about it. I couldn't talk to anybody else about it because they wouldn't understand, but I just knew something was going on on the inside. And so I would spend a lot of time praying in other tongues. What was I doing? I was praying out this church. I was praying out God's plan for my life. And so if you don't spend time praying in the Spirit, and I didn't understand it. I didn't, I didn't know I was praying out my church because I'd kind of lost track of the pastoring part. But I was just praying in the Spirit. But this is what I was praying about. And so if your future, if you're ever going to, to uh, arrive, if you're ever going to uh, find your place in where, where God has, or what he has for you, if you're ever going to find that place and get into that place, you have to spend a lot of time praying in other tongues. Amen. And then learn to worship the Lord in other tongues. It's not just for praying out the will of God. A lot of times it's just for praising God, worshiping the Lord. Because they spoke of the wonderful works of God. And so many times I, I, I just spend time in his presence just worshiping him in other tongues. And I pray in the spirit and I sing in the spirit. And so if you will, if you will uh, practice these things when you're uh, in your private devotional time, when you come into service, 
things will make a whole lot more sense. So that was what was wrong with this man. He came in, he was all puffed up to start with, you know, and arrogant and, you know, trying to correct somebody. He didn't know what he was talking about. But if he had had some experience, just a little bit of experience, he wouldn't have said what he did. And so get some experience in the things of the Spirit. Get some experience and get some Holy Ghost experience. Amen. In your private time. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to uh, talk about what I was going to. I was going to talk a little bit more about what I talked about this morning. But, uh, you know, I've already gone 31, 32 minutes. I will tell this story. Uh, brother, this is some more Brother Hagen's story. You'll, you, you enjoy this. Uh, first of all, I talked this morning about how uh, the woman was healed. And I said it was in, you know, she was on a stretcher and she jumped up. How many of you are here this morning? Actually, that, I, I got my, I wasn't watching my notes real carefully. Uh, at the last church Brother Hagen pastored, he, had, he was preaching in a fellowship meeting. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll, I'll enlighten you. In our particular denomination, we, you know, we were part of, I, I belonged to the Church of God growing up. And we had districts. Because Jacksonville was a big city, we had several different districts in Jacksonville. And the churches in our district, we were on the north side of town, so the north uh, Jacksonville district, there was, you know, our church, and, the, and we, we were the largest church in the, in, in the city. And, uh, but then there were some smaller churches on the outskirts of Jacksonville. And I considered them country churches because our church was a big city church, you know. And, uh, but these were real country people. And you had to drive, you know, kind of good ways outside of town to these other little named communities. And, uh, and so I think it must have been once a quarter. I don't remember. I was a kid. You know, my mom, for some reason, loved to go to these things. And uh, so she would drag me along, you know. And uh, so we would go to these. And, and so they would have, we would have fellowship meetings where the different churches in the district once a quarter or something like that, they would have a fellowship meeting. It would be at a different church. Anybody... Remember things like that? It'd be at a different church. And uh, so well, Brother Hagen was asked to preach in this, in this fellowship. It wasn't at his church. It was, a, it was in somebody else's church, but he was a pastor. And uh, he said, when I was listening to this recording recently, he said in that service, now, you know, when you're in an environment like that, usually the pastors are all in competition with one another. You know, because, you know, you might, be like, like if we were in a situation like that today, our church, if we had other churches in our district, whoever, if we were having a district meeting in this church, usually the pastor of that church wouldn't preach. It'd be some one of the other pastors from one of the other churches. And if I was in, you know, another church, maybe I'd preach fellowship meeting there. So the pastors are all kind of in competition because they don't want, you know, they don't want another pastor to show them up in their church, you know, preach better than they do, you know, and all that stuff. And uh, so there can be a lot of jealousy and a lot of, you know, flaky and, you know, fleshly things going on. But Brother Aiken said in his own testimony, he said that somehow he was able to get that whole congregation uh, with him as he preached the word. He said they came into, into a spirit of unity around the word that he preached. And he said he was on the, just the, he wasn't necessarily the, the unity. We talk about the unity of worship, you know. He said they got into unity around the word he was preaching somehow. And uh, he said while he was preaching, all of a sudden, a sound, a, a huge sound of wind 
just came blowing through the church and everybody in the church heard it. Just like whoosh, this big wind. He said they not only heard it, they felt it. And when it blew in, he said uh, every sinner in that church got saved, every backslider was restored, every believer was filled with the Holy Spirit, and every sick person was healed. And there was, that was the time there was a woman on, the, on a stretcher. When that wind blew in, this wasn't the time when the flash went off and the preacher looked out the window. This was a time when the wind blew. So it's just another demonstration of the glory of God. When that wind blew in, there was a woman on a stretcher, and she jumped up, and she'd been given up to die. She jumped off that stretcher and started running around the church and was completely healed. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. He can blow in here anytime he wants to. Amen. Amen. Now, I found, I found this interesting, and I think you will too. There were, and these will be the last two. There were two uh, experiences that he had in the glory of God while preaching on the streets. Now, this, was, this didn't happen in a church. In the spring of 1942, uh, and I guess he was, still, he was still pastoring at the time, he, he said on Saturdays in town, this, you know, this is Depression Days. And, uh, you know, Japan attacked uh, Pearl Harbor in December of, of, of 41. Is that right? And so this is 1942. He said back in those days, you know, the Depression was still, was still going on because it, you know, the, the war hadn't pulled the country out of that yet. And uh, he said people on Saturday, he said the, the streets were just loaded with people because people didn't have any jobs. And they'd come to town, they're looking, they're in standing in soup lines and standing in lines for the few jobs that existed. He said it was just a mass of people. And he said in those days, you could just preach in the town square. You didn't need a, you didn't need a permit. You could just preach and they'd let you. That's when we were free. And... Uh, you could preach, you know, in, in anywhere you could, you could where, anywhere you could gather people, you could just preach. And he said preach, people would preach in the town square. Sometimes they'd preach on what he called a jockey lot. Now, in the old days, this was 1942, but in the previous days, the jockey lot, people used to come to town in their horses, you know, with their buggies. And so the, part, the jockey lot is where they would take their horse and buggy and hitch it up while they, you know, went around town. Later, by the time Brother Hagen came along, in the 40s, people were driving into town, so it was just a parking lot. And a few people still, you know, maybe came to town in a horse and buggy. Most people drove, and, but they still called it a jockey lot. Well, he, he drove around town. It was either this meeting or the one in 44. Uh, in both of those times, he had a record player. He had a turntable, and he had a, 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 a I guess it was a 45. Because he said there was one song on one side and one song on the other. And he would drive around. He had a speaker set up on the top of his car. And he had this, this phonograph. And he would pay, play this record and this music. And he would drive around town. And he would play the song. And then he would talk on the, on the on, he had a, a, a PA system set up, you know. And he would say, I'm going to join me at the jockey lot at such and such a time. I'm going to tell you who's going to win. No, he said his sermon, his sermon that was later, his sermon on, in 42 was Japan is doomed. That was his message because he said he had looked into the Bible and found out from the word of God that, Jama that Japan was doomed. Now, I don't, he never told us where that, where that location was. I don't know what the passage was that said Japan was doomed, but he said he found it in the Bible. So he, 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 was, he would drive around and tell people to come meet me at the, at the jockey lot. I'm going to preach on Japan is doomed. 
And uh, he said he got, you know, a crowd of people gathered. Now, he's not in a church. He would stand up, you know, if he stood up in the trunk of his car. I don't know what he stood up on. But he's at, and people are gathered around. They didn't have anything else to do. And they wanted to hear that Japan was doomed, you know. And so he preached. And while he was preaching, he said that, that cloud, he saw the cloud just sort of come in and, 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 and envelop the people. And uh, now he told them, he said, come at such and such time, I'm going to preach for 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes at the max. Because this was Saturday, people, you know, didn't want to stay all day. And he didn't want, you know, he wanted to assure them, I'm going to let you go. And uh, he said, while well, he, he was 20 minutes into his sermon, when that cloud came down over everybody on the parking lot. And uh, he said he couldn't see anybody, but he preached for another 30 minutes and didn't know a word he said. So he'd already gone 20 minutes, so he surpassed what he told them he was going to do, but he was in this cloud, and, and he didn't know one word he preached. Now, isn't that interesting? He's not in a church. God can do what he wants to do anywhere he wants to do it. It's just a manifestation of God's glory. And uh, whenever the cloud lifted, he gave an invitation, and 12 grown men stepped up and got saved that day, right there on the streets. Now, in 1944, he was re holding a revival. I guess he was still pastoring, but he was holding a revival for somebody in a church. And in whatever town this was, he did the same thing. They were going to, he was preaching on Sunday morning, but on Saturday afternoon, they went downtown. And uh, in one of these two occasions, I don't remember which one it was, he did the same thing in both of them in that he put a record on and he would play the record and he would drive around. And he said, I think it was the second time, and this one he said that he was going to preach on uh, what was going to happen in the war, what the future was. And uh, you know, the war wasn't over in 44, it was still going on, and so he, he was going to tell people what was going to happen. And he said, as he drove around, he said he made another loop around the, the courthouse square, and he said it looked like a parade behind him. All these people were walking or in their cars and they were following him. He said it was, he looked back and it looked like a parade. So he finally got out, you know, to this jockey lot, you know, this parking lot. And, uh, and again, he was preaching and he didn't take up any offering in these meetings. Because he said even back then, it's just like it is today. You know, you take up an offering, people start getting critical. Well, he's just after money, you know. So he didn't take up any offering. But he's preaching this revival the next day. And so he was trying to build his crowd, you know, for the service on Sunday. And so he was preaching, and again, the cloud came in like it had before and enveloped people. He, he could hear what he was saying. He could hear the sound of his voice, but he couldn't distinguish what he was saying. He preached for an hour and a half in that cloud. He said, to this day, I don't know one word I said. But when it lifted, now this time, oh, this, this, he wasn't in a jockey lot this time. I remember this detail now. I didn't write it down here. He actually was in front of a store right there in the town square. He got permission from the store owner to, to preach outside his store. So he was actually standing in a, in a parking spot that the store owner said, yeah, you can set up here. So he's in this parking spot and he was just right off the curb. The curb's right behind him and people are gathered all around. He preached for an hour and a half, didn't have any idea one word he was saying. He was in that cloud when the cloud lifted, he said people started throwing money at his feet. He said, and he didn't take up an offering. He said, he said I guess they figured, well, you know, we're going to help this guy some way. And people just 
He said there was money laying all around him on the curb and in the street. And all the people just came up and, and, and uh, he said he got more money there. And he got his offering in the church. Praise the Lord. And, and he said people got saved that day. Well, you know, these are just uh, uh, stories in, in, uh, of how God would, would work, you know. And he said now later in his life, later in ministry, uh, while ministering healing or deliverance, uh, he didn't have these things happen after the 40s and 50s, but later in his life. He said that while he would minister healing, uh, oftentimes a cloud would come over him and envelop him and the person that he was ministering to. And a lot of times then he would see what was going on in that person's life. And, and he talked about this woman that had come up, you know, that had cancer in, in, her, uh, in her lungs and it had spread to other lungs. And they were, he was holding this revival. And it was a, he, he was there three weeks. He prayed for the sick on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So they got this lady out of, out of bed the first week. They brought her on Tuesday night. He prayed for her and she wasn't healed. They, they brought her back, got her out of bed on Thursday night, brought her and he prayed for her, she wasn't healed. They went the second week, they got her out of bed on Tuesday night, he prayed for her and she wasn't healed. They brought her back Thursday night, he prayed for her and she wasn't healed. And uh, he said, I don't know why she wasn't healed, she just, you know, she didn't receive. Other people were being healed, but she didn't. And she was dying, she had lung cancer and spread to both lungs. And uh, she said that, or he said that on the third week, on Tuesday night, they brought this lady again, they brought her up in the, in the healing line, and he, went, he said when she stood in front of him, he said all of a sudden a cloud enveloped she and him. And he saw this evil spirit hanging on to her body on the, on the side where the cancer had started, the lung that the cancer had started. And he saw that evil spirit. And he rebuked it and, and he tells the story. The spirit, you know, he said, I, he said, you're going to have to go. And the spirit said, I don't want to. And he said, well, you're going to have to. And uh, the, the, the evil spirit fell off of her. Now, nobody else in the church saw this, and they didn't see the cloud. They just heard him talk. And this evil spirit fell down on the floor and just laid there and whimpered and, and cried, you know, and, and shook. And he said, you're going to have to leave, and you're going to have to leave this building. And so evil spirit ran down this side and down the side and out the side door of the church. And the woman went back to the doctor, and she was completely well. She went back in. She said, I want another x-ray of my lungs. And they said, well, we've already x-rayed you, and, and you know, we... There's no reason for us to do this again. Your condition is terminal, you know. She said, well, I want you to take another x-ray. And the doctor said, well, why do you want us to? It's not necessary. She said, well, you take the x-ray, then I'll tell you why. And they took the x-ray, and they came back, and they said, can we take some more x-rays? <laughs> and they took several more, and they said, well, we don't know what happened, but the, your cancer is completely gone. There is no tumors in your lungs whatsoever. And uh, she, they said, what did, what did you do? And so she told him that she was in a meeting and, and that Brother Hagen had prayed for her and, and uh, told him what, what she heard him say. And they said, well, we'll give you an affidavit, you know, if you want it, saying that you had cancer and now you don't. So we don't understand it, but our, our hat's off to that Hagen guy. Evidently, he has the answer. We don't. And, uh, you know, a lot of doctors are like that. They, you know, they'll accept the miraculous. Uh, and uh, he said the first time this happened is he was in... Uh, Christ for the Nations, you know, they had a Bible college, still do there in Dallas. It was founded by Gordon Lindsay, powerful uh, man, uh, one of Brother Hagin's good friends, but he's founded this Bible school in Dallas. G Gordon, uh, Gordon Lindsay was greatly used during the uh, uh, healing revival in the 
40s and early 50s because he was a man of tremendous balance and he was a very prolific writer. He wrote a lot of books and brought a lot of balance uh, to a lot of uh, uh, things that weren't scriptural that were going on. And, and so he started this Bible college. And so Brother Hagin went over there to preach. He said this was the first time this happened. He said while he was in, in the healing line, he called for a healing line. There were, I'm guessing, a lot of people. And he said he just waved his hand like this over the, over the people in the healing line. And he said all of them had their eyes closed. So it couldn't have been psychological because nobody saw him. Nobody in the healing line saw him. He just waved his hand. When he did, he said, every one of them just fell on the floor, just fell out on the floor. Well, that had to have been the glory of God because they wouldn't have, you know, and said every one of them was healed. So those, you know, I tell you what, God can do some miraculous things. Amen. And he wants to. I'm convinced he wants to do. Amen. Why aren't there more manifestations and demonstrations of the Spirit, where well, there are three things that are required. <clears throat> a reverence for God. You have to reverence the move of God. Like we did tonight. There was a tremendous reverence in here for the things of God. And uh, <clears throat> so reverence is an important key. Unity, I've already talked about being in one accord. Just being, setting other things aside and just saying, I, I just, I want the, God's best. Unity. And then desire. All three of these things go together. Reverence, unity, and desire. Do you want these things? Amen. Having, having a heart's desire for God to move is so important. And so that's, that's, where, that's, that's the, the uh, upward journey we're on. Praise God. Amen. It's going to get better and better and better and better and better and better and better. Amen. <coughs> Praise God. But I'm telling you, the glory of God is real. I've seen it. I've been in it, and, uh, and, it, and it's, it's, it's a real thing. And when it happens, miraculous things take place. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, let's stand up and be dismissed tonight. I'm not going to keep you any longer. Wonderful service. Praise God. I'm so glad I was here tonight. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.